Hey, hey, church. It is so good to see you. My name is Wade Giffen. If we've not had a chance uh, to meet each other, one of the pastors here, along with my colleague, Pastor Katie, who you've already met and uh, been able to enjoy her hosting of our worship service today. We are continuing uh, that journey in cultivating and letting go. And our text for today that is appointed for this fifth Sunday of Lent, can you believe fifth Sunday of Lent already? Um, is, uh, comes from the Gospel of John. So if you want to follow along, it's in John chapter 12, and I'm going to start at the first, first verse. Hear now this good news about Jesus according to John. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There he gave a dinner for him, Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he, was care, because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the extravagant gift of your love that you lavish on us. You continue to do so. You reminded us of that in the event of the cross. And God, we pray that um, as we gather here in worship, that we would experience your love lavished on us, that we might do so in the world. Come now, Holy Spirit, lead and guide in these moments so that these words become your word for us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we have been making this journey through Lent and using this theme of cultivating and letting go, um, it's been an opportunity for us to consider things we'd want to let go of so that we might cultivate something new. And a very predictable pattern has emerged through the series, that when we use the um, language of cultivating and letting go, that each week it seems like that thing we want to talk about cultivating and that thing we want to talk about letting go are usually just opposite things, one of the other. Or it's the kind of thing that as long as we got this deal, we can't make room for that kind of thing. So a kind of a juxtaposition of stuff week after week. But this week's text took me in a completely different direction. And you may have um, noticed the sermon title today and thought perhaps it was a misprint, but it is not. It is intentional, and it goes like this. Cultivating extravagant love and letting go of extravagant love. Two pieces, the same in the way we express it in our faith. So the text from John's gospel comes from this really significant moment during the drama that is playing out as his, he and his followers are making their way to Jerusalem. And we know that the arrival at Jerusalem means the cross. They're on their way. 
And as they are on the way, John tells us about some things that Jesus is doing in preparation for that moment. But maybe importantly, along the way, Jesus is trying to model what he wants disciples to be about and to understand um, for when he is gone. So that the work that he's begun in his ministry continues beyond him. I think in the current uh, our current culture vernacular, one of the things we might call this is that he was impressing on them some core values for the life of faith. You, you know what core values are. They're the kinds of things that uh, we hold as really, really important to us, things that are primary in our lives. And, you know, my second grade uh, teacher taught me to never um, define a word with the word, but pff, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> but things that are core to who we are and how we live our lives. So just prior to this text that I read today, you will also see in John, if you wanted to look back, that we've already seen some very significant events along the way on this journey. And they are primary to the moment um, that we have today, and they really inform the way we hear this story that I just read to you. And one of those specifically is the story of Jesus' friend Lazarus, who had fallen very ill I mean, ill unto the point that he could potentially die. And so his family, that includes his two sisters, Mary and Martha, um, call for Jesus to come to their home and to heal Lazarus from his illness. What we see is that Jesus got delayed on the way. And by the time he got to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, Lazarus had already died. And he had been wrapped even in his grave cloths. Now you might remember that John tells us about what Mary's sister Martha said when Jesus arrived. She said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You can hear in the midst of her grief a little bit of words of disappointment in Jesus that he didn't get there in time. She expected more of him. But what we now know is that the very next thing that happened is that Jesus went to the grave where Lazarus was and called him from the grave. Or to put it in the way we say it, raise him from the dead. And to celebrate that miracle that had happened in their midst, to give thanks to God for Lazarus' newfound life, they invited Jesus and the disciples to their home for dinner. And while everyone's around the table, Mary's sister Martha is busy serving an extravagant meal so they can celebrate. I often think about Mary this way. Do you have people in your life who express their love to you through your belly? You, you know people like that? That if you're going to be with them, they're going to give you something that's going to make your belly feel good. They love on you through their, um, their skill at food. But while Mary is working away in the kitchen, and you know one of our other Gospels tells the story a little differently, that there was a little tension between Mary and Martha because Martha was working so hard and she didn't think Mary was doing enough. But John gives us a, a fresh glimpse into that moment. 
Mary is also lavishing some extravagant love on them, but on Jesus specifically, but her approach was really, really different. She serves something that's just as extravagant as the meal that they have on their plates. She serves an expensive jar of perfume that we know has a fragrance that is so potent that it, that it probably just filled the entire house. You know, when, when we're designing worship, we always try to come up with ways to help us connect to the text. And I wanted to fill this room with incense burning so that, <laughs> so that you get a smell when you came in. But I also know that incense makes people cough, and then we think they'd have COVID. And like, it was a non-starter. But you get the idea. It filled the house. And she kneels down and pours out the entire contents of the bottle of this most expensive perfume onto Jesus' feet to wash his feet. And instead of reaching for a towel to dry them, she uses her hair. Now there's some huge stuff going down in that moment. Because Mary has knowingly broken, very serious social customs of the day. She has taken a massive risk uh, as a part of the extravagance of her love that she wants to express to Jesus in that moment. And keep in mind that breaking social customs in that time was bad enough. But for a woman to do it, she raised the ante really high. You, you want to know a couple of the customs that, that, that Mary broke? One of them is that she, she let her hair down and let it be seen in a room full of men. Did not do that. She poured perfume on his feet. The expensive stuff. You know, not the cheap stuff you get on Amazon, but, uh, but like the really expensive stuff you get in the, the, the high department stores, right? The good stuff. And, 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 and what she used was not the kind of perfume that we would think of from a high-end department store. You know, just spritz here, dab on your wrists, or however you put it, put it on. But this stuff was reserve. This was a special reserve, if you will, to be used to wrap somebody's, a loved one's body for burial. And that was a really big deal that she used that stuff. And she wipes Jesus' hair with her feet, or his feet with her hair. I mean, she didn't use a towel. She used her hair. And that broke all kinds of customs and boundaries um, around intimacy. You just don't do it. But you know what? Mary didn't care. It was no concern to her. She loved Jesus too much to let customs get in the way of her lavishing extravagant love on Jesus. And what makes it so extravagant is the will, the risk that she is willing to take and the boundaries that she's willing to cross. And in this story, this story gives us signs that we now can see, but they couldn't see then, signs about the kingdom of God that Jesus was ushering in and what would happen soon in Jerusalem. There's parallels here. Now, I've often looked at this whole drama between the time that, um, that of Lazarus' death through this extravagant dinner 
is almost a dress rehearsal for Jerusalem when we will see the events of those days play out all over again. Just look at a couple of the signs of that night. Mary using burial perfume, not water, burial perfume to wash Jesus' feet. Now, of course, we can make the connection to, his, to Jesus' own death, but think of that, burial perfume. This was apparently an extravagant gift that a family would offer for a loved one who had died. And such a gift was so costly, so expensive, and so huge. And Mary decided not to wait to show her extravagant love for Jesus at the time of his burial, but to use it right now as an expression of her love. It was a sign of what would come. There was a second sign in Mary's action. Because if you read a little further along in the Gospel of John, in just a couple of days, they're going to be in their last night with Jesus, and he is going to wash the feet of the disciples as a sign and as a reminder of what it means to be a servant to others and, and to express extravagant love. And you better believe it. I can't imagine there was anybody in that room who had been at that dinner two or three days before who wasn't remembering immediately what Mary had done. Her actions modeled the kind of discipleship that Jesus was trying to get through to them. Because when he washes the feet of the disciples, he reminds them to care for others as he has loved them. And I would suggest, I mean, I'm a big Mary fan. And I would suggest that Mary understands what Jesus is about and what a disciple needs to be about way before a lot of the others did. She modeled it that night. Mary gets it. She gets this kingdom thing. And one other sign I want to point out that we see is this whole raising Lazarus from the dead for a couple of days. It's going to repeat, as I've said, in Jerusalem, but this time it'll be Jesus. So this week we're talking about cultivating extravagant love and letting go of extravagant love. So what does that mean for us? Well, the idea is that cultivating extravagant love is a part of the life of faith. This happens. That's what we experience in the spiritual life. We experience that from God through Jesus, but we also experience that in the presence of the community of faith. I mean, you love on me, I love on you. I mean, it's a part of what happens. But the expression is that we don't hoard or hold the love that we've received for ourselves. That we cultivate that love but not to keep it, to let it go and to give it away. It's one of those weird things that happens in life that the more we give away, the more comes back. You know, one of those things. Um, in last week's worship focus, you remember I talked a little bit about what it meant to be kind to ourselves. And one of the benefits of being kind to ourselves is that we see people and we see the world differently. And it often means that we then have a different kind of kindness toward others. Um, might call that kindness extravagant love, just so it fits for this week. Now, every chance I've had um, with both people I don't know and people I do know, um, I've been trying to practice that this week. And let me tell you, gang, I mean, I've intensely practiced kindness to other people since you last saw me. 
and it is exhausting. It is, uh, it is exhausting uh, emotionally. It, it takes up a, a, a lot of time to do that. Um, but let me tell you this. Something happened to me in that this week too. And that is um, I got so much more back. To be in a restaurant with a server who most customers just look, as a ro- look to as a robot who delivers food to the table. To acknowledge that person and acknowledge them as a human being and to express extravagant love and kindness in that moment. I mean, I saw um, in several cases, I could see it, something happen in them because I was willing to be kind in that way. Kindness begets kindness. And, and as we're focusing this week, extravagant love begets extravagant love. Now, of course, our motivation to uh, let go of our extravagant love is not for the purpose of getting whatever we can get from it. You know, that's culture we live in as we do something for, for what I can get, right? But that's not what this is about because servants of Jesus, um, we don't do things in the name of Jesus because of what we're going to get. But here's the crazy thing. It happens anyway. It happens anyway. Just like when Mary pours out love to the one who in life and in death pours out love on all of creation. So we might say it this way. Mary cultivates extravagant love and she lets extravagant love go. She knows that God's love is such a powerful force that it could never be contained. It could never be held. It could never be hoarded for ourselves. But God's extravagant love, when we have experienced it, we just have to let go of it. What does that look like for us? Well, there's, you know, it's, as usual, it's unique to you. But I want to I share three things with you that might help you think about what that means for you in, in your life. One of those is I want to tell you a story about John Wesley. You know, John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist movement that ultimately became the denomination of which we are a part. And the story about John goes like this. A wealthy woman was talking with John, and she told him that she read scripture every day. She prayed every day. She did all this stuff to grow closer to God. And then her question. She wanted to know what else she needed to, be, she needed to do to become fully Christian. And John Wesley told her to go visit those in prison. He said, go visit those in the hospital. He said that the call of Jesus was to self-denial and humility by leaving our comfort zones to reach out to people who are in a different situation than ours. John told her that, uh, that to, to go to those places, and what he was really meant was, symbolically, is to wash their feet with the best oil you got. Jesus looks after those who are in need with extravagant love. And if we follow Christ, we do the same. A second thing I want to point to today is that, as Pastor Katie has pointed out, we're going to share communion um, in our service today. Gang, there is not a better (laughs) object lesson in the world. It's not a better way to see what extravagant love is than in this holy meal. We are reminded in this meal 
the extent to which God went to lavish extravagant love on us through Jesus. And that's all right here on this table. But coming to this table is not, we're not just going to receive communion today because of what it will do for us. It is to remind us of the gift that God endows us with the responsibility to carry what we get in the reminder of this table, to carry this table into the world. So come and receive today. Cultivate from this table the extravagant love of Jesus in your own life. And then get out of here and let it go. Do you, do you get it? See that connection? We receive extravagant love so that we can be those who love extravagantly in the world. Now, the third and final thing I want to say is um, kind of what I've been saying all along. And that is that lavishing extravagant love, we do that from a place of having received extravagant love. And the idea is kind of obvious, obvious here. It's often said that we understand, know, and recognize love, maybe for the first time as a child, when we first feel that, that love, as, as, as one of my boys used to say to me um, all, all the time when he was little, he goes, oh, you know, and I'd hug him, he goes, oh, dad, I feel the warmth of love. He began to feel it because I loved him first. Uh, when I uh, officiate weddings, I always sneak into almost every wedding homily apart where I say something to the bride and groom, something like that we believe that your capacity to recognize love in the other was in part enabled by the love that you have received throughout your whole life. It's one of those chances that gives me an opportunity to give a nod to moms and dads, you know, uh, for lavishing love on them so that when they discovered it, um, they knew it when they felt the warmth of love. Um, and, and, and because they had that extravagant love lavished on them, they knew it when they saw it. It's kind of like, um, kind of like that old chorus that I, that I have loved for years and years. Maybe, maybe you, you know it. Um, Chris, I'm going to try to sing it without any, any help whatsoever. This is acapulco. Here we go. I mean acapella. Goes like this. If you know it, you can sing it with me. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. You want to try it? Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, because he first loved me.